Welcome to the Coach's Edge podcast dedicated to teaching, sharing, and learning the game. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Steve Kramer, Kramer Basketball, founder of the Coach's Edge. And on today's episode, we have a special bonus episode for you as we talk about the NCAA tournament, a little March Madness, talking about the men's side, the women's side, leading up to the final four. There's multiple reasons why this is a special episode. One, you get two episodes instead of one this week. That's awesome. The second reason is tomorrow's episode is state champion, Ohio high school basketball coach of the year on the women's side. Corey Crimebrink from Napoleon is going to be sharing a little bit about their state title journey. And if you've been a day one listener to the Coach's Edge, you know he was one of our first five or 10 interviews on the Coach's Edge. So it's really cool. So we can, you could literally go to the past and before you listen to that one tomorrow, go back and find him as one of our first episodes. Listen to that. It was like 11 months ago as he talks about how their season ended short due to COVID. And they literally made the run all the way back again through COVID and won the state championship. And so he had some really great things uh, to share about that team's journey. Another reason why this is a special episode is because this is essentially a panel. It's not just me talking about you know, college basketball, we're joined by some of our Coaches Edge members. And so it's really cool for me to be able to see what we've we've done with our podcast essentially a year ago, building out the Coaches Edge membership, which was in October, and now being able to have conversations like this with our coaching members and have them share some of the takeaways and the teaching points that they've learned from watching the NCAA tournament that now they can apply to their coaching style and their team. So as we get into this episode, I'm going to have some of our coaches introduce themselves uh, first. So why don't we go to uh, Coach Disha? Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, hi, I'm Brock Dissip. Uh, I'm an assistant coach at uh, Bowling Green uh, High School in Ohio right now. I used to coach at Napoleon, Ohio, but now I'm here at Bowling Green uh, right now. And I, I still teach at Napoleon High School in Ohio, but I uh, coach at Bowling Green High School right now. Awesome. Welcome, Northwest Ohio listeners. And uh, let's go way up north near the UP, but not all the way up in the UP. Coach Dwayne Pitts. Yeah, hi, my name is uh, Dwayne Pitts. I coach the Rogers City Girls Varsity team. And I'm also a high school special education teacher. And And uh, let's jump it over to Coach A.J. Burton, who you've probably heard before. Coach Burton, quick intro. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, like Coach Graver said, um, I'm a contributor to the Coach's Edge. I am the uh, currently I'm the associate head coach at Southern Maine Community College, heading into my fifth season there. Perfect. So with, with all that in mind, we're excited to have a couple of our Coach's Edge members sharing some of their thoughts as far as uh, what they've taken away from the NCAA tournament. But before we do that, the Coach's Edge membership opens back up on April 10th. So Coach Dishup, I'll throw it to you first. What's been special about the Coach's Edge membership and how has it helped you? Uh, I've taken a few of the things uh, so far. A few of your drills I've taken from the videos, just some shooting drills have really helped us out. Some, a few of the ball handling drills. I've seen in some of your, uh, we've had a couple of your camps, which is good, but it's kind of good to see some of those drills and review them kind of, we've used them a few times as kind of our, our starting practice things and some competition shooting things, those few things uh, specifically, but also some of the plays, we are looking over some of the inbounds plays and just kind of strategy things that are on there. And, 
you know, these meetings. And you know, sometimes we have a few of these meetings, just getting a chance to talk to some other guys and some thoughts that they have about, you know, how their season's going or things that they've tried. So those are a few of the things I can think of off the top of my head. Awesome. Yeah, those are all really, really good things. And um, these meetings have been have been huge that we've had essentially twice twice a month have been great to learn from one another. Coach Pitts, how about yourself? Yeah, a lot of the same things that coach was talking about right there. But like, um, I think one of the other things that I would add on there is that um, that you're always ready to help it, to step in and have like a meeting with us on the side if we need to talk something over. And that's been a big help. And um, some of the out of bounds plays worked really well. We actually um, had used a couple in games and they were really effective. And uh, especially the ball handling drills, I know that's one thing that I've used in practice a lot. And um, all those things and even into the shooting, like warming up and getting going. Um, it's, been, it's been good for our program. Awesome. Well, we're, we're very glad that you guys are members of, of the Coach's Edge and we look forward to continuing to following your programs. Let's dig into uh, the NCAA tournament, really focusing on some of those Elite Eight games. So quick review, Gonzaga beat USC 85-66. Michigan beat UCLA 51-49. That's a nail-biter. Baylor beat Arkansas 81-72. And Houston beat Oregon State. Beaver fever has ended 67 to 61. All right, so let's start with the Texas side of the bracket. Let's go to the South region. Coach Burton, I'm going to throw this uh, to you first, but as you're thinking about Baylor in Arkansas and some of those contrasts of styles and, and coaches, what were some of the takeaways that you have from that game or essentially those two teams making their run to the Elite Eight? Uh, to start off, um, you know, obviously we've talked about this uh, quite often when it comes to um, when you get to the to March in tournament play, sometimes you just need ball to fall in your favor sometimes. And, you know, for Arkansas, they've been extremely fortunate when they made this run to the Elite Eight. Um, you know, they won their first game pretty soundly against Colgate, um, had a nail biter with Texas Tech, which is a great one to watch. And then I'm sure mostly everybody saw the game against Oral Roberts, uh, the 15 seed. And boy, you talk about the game of inches. Um, if that young man from Oral Roberts is maybe a half an inch or an inch closer to the three-point line, we're probably talking Oral Roberts-Baylor game here. But, uh, you know, sometimes the ball doesn't fall your way, so Arkansas was there, and then Baylor just kind of just been ran through all the way up to this point. But to me, when I watched the game, the biggest thing that was um, telling was just the toughness that Baylor um, shows game in and game out. Um, to me, I view that as an intimidation factor. It felt like right from the jump, it felt like Arkansas was not ready for this moment. They were finally able to gather themselves, but it felt like Baylor was just clicking on all cylinders as soon as the tip-off started. Um, so I just thought that was kind of the big telling thing. And again, the size and physicality that Baylor brings, um, not just from their guard play from inside, I think that was also a huge um, benefit to Baylor as well. Because again, I felt like they just controlled the game um, from start to finish. No doubt about that. Uh, Coach Pitts, I'll throw it over to you. Uh, what are some of your takeaways from watching uh, that, that game? Yeah, like the biggest thing that I, I noticed with Baylor is, is that they just, they never really panic. Like it's, 
you know, like somebody will make a run on them, but they stay under control and they, they just, uh, they just keep running through things and they're, they're patient with what they want to get and they, and they go get, they get really good shots. And, um, the thing I, I liked about Arkansas, like through their run is they just don't, they don't quit. <laughs> they're they're You know, there's been a few times where I've seen them down by like about eight or nine or something like that. And then they'll make a run and they're right back in it. Um, so both those teams played really solid defense, but Baylor to me just seems like they're more um, mentally, just a little bit more mentally tough. It's been really interesting to see Arkansas make this run. And, and I agree. And as coach Burton mentioned, Arkansas got themselves in a hole in multiple games leading up to the elite eight, but at some point you're going to run into a team that's too good to come back. And, you know, Arkansas was down big. They, they come back and they make a run, but against the team as good and as talented and as tough as Baylor, you're just not going to be able to come back all the way against a, a team like that. But uh, a heck of a run by those teams. Now Baylor looks like a really tough team to beat. Let's move to the, uh, other Texas sized game as Houston ended the, the Cinderella story of Oregon State uh, 76 to 61. And Coach Bishop, looking at that game, Houston was obviously, according to Ken Palm and the, the rankings, clearly one of the top teams in the country. Um, what were some takeaways that you watched uh, compared to uh, the Oregon State game? Yeah, one of that, I mean, Houston just kind of comes at you a little bit in waves, I think, when, I, when I'm watching a little bit and just, um, they had, I don't know, they just, they just had, they kind of overwhelmed Arkansas at, at times, I felt like, and early, I saw the early part, and I honestly, I took a little break because I was uh, in the game, but I came back, I kind of missed all the Oregon State, they, when they kind of fought themselves back into it, so I missed part of that, I kind of saw the early and I kind of missed a chunk there. But I came back late. I was like, oh, my goodness, how the heck did they get back in this like this? Because they were getting overwhelmed early when I saw them. And I missed a little chunk when they had their big comeback in there. But um, so I kind of saw, saw overwhelming a little bit. Uh, Oregon State a little bit early, but kind of saw the just the last little bit of that. But they were they were really just they looked outmatched in that first time. They must have made some in-game adjustments and, and called timeout. So you got somebody else gonna have to comment a little bit more on that stretch of the game when they were going through. But um, Houston, like I said, looked good. And like, they were they were fortunate to survive that game with was it Rutgers, I think, that they that they survived. That that I don't know. I thought Rutgers kind of gave that one to them at the end. I, I thought that um, but they got fortunate, but they it's they're kind of unique in that they have they played all double digit seeds all the way through. I think they may have Houston that they they went all the way yes, through. Yeah, yeah, yep. Which is that's an unusual thing. Not that those teams are bad, but it's just they're playing more of the teams that have upset somebody else so far, but you, you play who's in front of you. A couple of interesting things about uh, Houston. One, Oregon State, heck of a run, um, but Houston defensively can really can really get at you as well. I think that's one thing that, that's in common with all the teams that are left in the tournament, their ability to defend. They held, they held Ethan Thompson to three for 12 from the field. Well, if, essentially, if your best player shooting three for 12, you're probably not going to win, win that game. The biggest thing that stands out to me among Houston is how they rebound the basketball, especially the offensive rebound. So I'm going to throw some, I'm going to throw some surprising stats at you right here. 
Houston in that game grabbed 46% of its missed shots. I mean, think about your chances of winning a game. If you, if you rebound 46% of your misses, they had 1.1 points per possession in that game. That's very good. All right. For our stat heads out there, if you're getting 1.1 points per possession, that's really good. Um, they rank second, according to Ken Palm, in the country in offensive rebounding. And uh, I mean, essentially, they're just playing volleyball on the boards against Oregon State. And you just can't match up against a team like that. Rebounding, rebounding, rebounding can make up for, for so many things. And um, you're going to be hard pressed to win a game when you're giving up 46% uh, on the offensive glass. And it was kind of a perfect storm for Oregon State. Houston was one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the nation. Oregon State statistically was one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the nation. So when, when those two teams matched up, it was not going to be uh, a pretty thing. Uh, Coach Burden, anything you want to throw in there uh, regarding the, the Houston-Oregon State game? Yeah, um, you know, the chime in on that with the rebounding piece, um, I can't remember who was commentating the game, but they made a great point in the second half. Um, it just felt like every time Houston took a shot, Oregon State was just overwhelmed with the ability of how Houston crashes the glass offensively. Um, they're always sending four guys to the glass, um, no matter where the shot's coming from. Even if it's going in for an inside shot, four guys are coming in for that rebound. So it just felt like when Oregon made that run, Oregon, excuse me, Oregon State made that run back, you know, it just felt like Calvin Sampson just really kicked in the high gear for the offensive glass to get going. And I mean, I think at one point, about five minutes ago, they had their 18th or 19th offensive rebound. And I knew right then and there, I'm like, game over. And you you said those stats right there, according to Kempom and all those things, like you don't think about it, but you look at it from an analytical standpoint, that just stands out. And that's just a huge difference maker there. Um, but I do want to give a shout out though to Oregon State. You know, your pick for last place um, in the preseason poll. You know, and you probably saw the shirt that the head coach wore. He had the number 16, had that X'd out, and it had the one next to it. So it was kind of cool. Um, it was a nice little rally cry for those young men to really, um, especially, again, in this time of the year, to make a run like that is pretty special. Um, and also, too, special shout-out to uh, Calvin Sampson. Um, I know probably a lot of you don't under, like know about his past history, but, you know, he was at Indiana, had some trouble, um, got fired you know, went to the NBA a little bit and then decided to go back to the college ranks and took a Houston job that was kind of a questionable, kind of there, like middle of the pack, lower pack of the American Conference. And what he's turned that into is just incredible to see. Um, so it's really special to see someone like that to kind of like have that redemption story um, in a way, and especially having a son on the staff too. That's got to be a pretty unique experience there as well. No doubt about it. Pretty cool uh, story there. Let's go to the uh, West Coast here. Coach Pitts, I'm going to throw this over to you first regarding the Michigan-UCLA game. And I have to throw it to you because I know you're an Illinois fan. And be, But being a Michigan State fan and seeing that we were that close to beating UCLA and now they're in the Final Four, that cuts deep. Um, so what were some of your takeaways from seeing UCLA against Michigan, Michigan, even though they have some injuries, they're looking like a true number one seed and to really be kind of looking like they're stuck in the mud the entire game. Yeah, I think the first thing is, is to give a lot of credit to UCLA for this run that they've put together. Um, they're, uh, it seemed like um, in the game, like every loose ball and, 
and every rebound, it, it just wasn't going Michigan's way. And UCLA was pretty much getting everything that they wanted, I thought. Um, it's, and um, I thought Michigan got good shots at times. They just weren't able to hit anything. And um, UCLA kept the pace where they wanted it to and kept it down like low scoring. And then they ended up digging it out at the end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Michigan had a good season too, but it's, and I know though it's unfortunate to end that way. I think they should have maybe kept pounding it down in the post a little bit more, but um, that's not always easy to do either. Just because we say do it doesn't mean that it's simple to do. But um, yeah, I thought I thought UCLA was just the the better team, and they just they found a way to dig it out. Their um their their number one player has just been unreal. Um, what's his, I forgot his last name, uh, Johnny, like Jazang or something, but he is, he's been unreal. So, um, and they couldn't stop him for a while either. So give them all the credit in the world. Absolutely. Any takeaways from, uh, coach Bishop, any takeaways from that game that, you know, you can say, man, you know, some of our, our high school guys can, can really learn a few things here. Well, I, I mean, first off, UCLA just shocked the heck out of me that they've made it this far with the kind of, you know, they were playing, they didn't look like they were playing good basketball going into the tournament, to be quite honest. Um, but yeah, to go on what you said, you know, their, their best player getting hot at the right time and looking really good. Um, I think uh, specifically in that game, I thought, I thought uh, there were just a few key moments when I thought their 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 length at the guard position just made it difficult for Michigan in, in what they were trying to get to their spots on the floor and they just couldn't quite get to where they wanted to. Trying to enter the wall of Dickinson, they just kind of they couldn't quite get their spacing right with the with the UCLA defense to where they wanted to, you know, to get him and him a good look, you know, on the block actually, instead of they're pushing him out just a little bit a few times, just key moments, just little things like that, that kind of threw them off. And like you said, Michigan just didn't, they just didn't shoot the ball well, which is a big deal too. But, but just little, a couple other little things like that is what I was seeing. Absolutely. Um, the crazy thing about UCLA is, I mean, they essentially were missing their top three players that would have been prior to the season, whether that's, I think they have one commit that decided to go at the last minute to the G League another injury. I mean, so just what they've been able to piece together. Um, I mean, imagine taking your perspective, three best players off of Gonzaga or Baylor, and then that's the team that makes it to the final four. That's essentially what UCLA has done. It's, it's really unbelievable. Michigan, a lot of coaches talk about the four factors, right? Four factors for, um, for those of you that, if you're not familiar, essentially dumbing it down, it's shooting, it's turnovers, it's rebounding, and it's free throw rate, all right, for, for a very basically. So Michigan in this game, they won three out of the four factors. Now, if you win three out of the four factors, you're almost for sure going to win that game. The only one that they lost was turnover percentage, but they turned the ball over like 20% of the possessions, approximately uh, almost doubling up. I think UCLA had like a 12% turnover percentage, something, something like that. So, I mean, if they, if they just don't cough the ball up that often, they're winning, they're winning that game, even if they don't do literally anything else in that game. Um, limiting those turnovers can truly be the difference in the game. Let's go to our top seed in the entire tournament, Gonzaga. 
Coach Burton, these guys have been rolling the entire year. This is a team that essentially is shaping up to be one of the most dominant teams of this century, essentially, um, in the 2000s. What are some of your takeaways from this team and this game? Yeah, like, like I've talked about um, on the podcast previous when we touched upon the NCAA tournament, um, you know, they, they're an absolute juggernaut, and it's essentially a pick-your-poison kind of team. Um, whereas an opposing team, it's an absolute nightmare to scout because you don't know who to take away um, because they can beat you in so many different facets from their personnel side. Um, but the biggest thing for me was, one, just how calm and composed they are as a group. You know, at, and, you know, coaches, you can relate to this. Um, Coach Kramer, you can relate to this. You know, at, as teams are undefeated, making these runs, the pressure really starts to mount. You know, you get all the media, you're getting like, okay, what's the chance of them losing this game? Or when are they going to lose? So, you know, just them being calm and composed. And, you know, Mark Few does an absolutely outstanding job coaching. So he's probably, you know, had that message relayed to the guys multiple times by just, you know, being in the moment, stay calm, stay composed. You know, the other two things too is their spacing. Um, watching that USC, uh, yeah, USC game, I was like in awe of just like really watching it from like, you know, all five guys, just the spacing purpose. It almost looks like they're playing from like the NBA three-point line extended out, um, which can cause some problems, especially on a team like that, where they can beat you in so many different ways. I really think their biggest X factor all year it's not been Jalen Suggs and it's not been Corey Kisper. It's been Drew Timmy, their center. Um, you know, he stretches the floor. You know, we talked about, you know, kind of like the unicorn, like, you know, stretch five, being able to do everything. He, what he did against um, the Mobley kid, who's going to be an NBA, probably a top three, top five uh, draft pick this upcoming year. I mean, he just picked him apart. And also it goes in the fact too, that, you know, a lot of upperclassmen surrounded by one underclassman, you know, it's just the right group right now. And we're, we're about to potentially see history with this group too. So those two things are the things that really stuck out to me, watch them against USC. No doubt about it for, well, when we say this is to me, at least this is one of the best teams I've ever seen. And, you know, I don't want to speak too soon. They haven't won the national title yet, but based on the play that they have right now, it just looks too easy. And to put this in perspective, they've won their four games by 96 points. That is the best point differential in this century. Okay. And essentially, okay. 21, 21 seasons, right. We missed one year, right. The biggest point differential since 2000 or, or going beyond before. I mean, this, this team is dominating at, at a way that we really haven't seen before the way that they are able to get easy baskets when other teams seem to be struggling. Okay. We're going ISO. We're, you know, taking a tough step back. These guys literally make it look easy. And I think honestly, it's a, it's a big part of, okay, there's not really any one and dones on this team, right? There's these guys that have played together for a long time. They almost can read each other like the back of their hand. And it's a big piece um, to, to, I think their, their success. I did want to transition a little bit to the women's game as well. And so um, as we shift gears here, let's review the elite eight scores and we'll talk about some of the women's side of things. Stanford defeated Louisville 78-63. South Carolina defeated Texas 62-34. UConn was a heck of a game. Defeated Baylor 69-67. I'm sure we're going to talk about that one. And Indiana defeated Arizona 66-53. So I'm going to throw this to Coach Pitts first. Coach Pitts, out of 
all of those games, what are you, what's either one game that specifically stood out to you or some overarching themes that you feel like can, you can take away to your women's program? Well, the first thing that I wanted to say was it's, it's been a lot more fun watching this tournament as there's been like a lot more parody in these games. Um, like teams that haven't been able to like play against like UConn and Stanford's and stuff like that. They're like taking them right to the brink. So that's been fun to watch. Um, yeah, I, I think that's the biggest thing that I would, that I would take out of it is just those teams have worked so hard and like now all of a sudden, like everybody's kind of competing with everybody. Like, I mean, Baylor, Baylor goes down. Like there's, there's a bunch of good teams in there. Like Louisville had a really good season too. And, uh, they're really deep and um, it's, I think that's the biggest thing is just to see some of those teams, like how they've worked to try to catch those upper tier teams that were, cause UConn was way above everybody for so long. And I mean, those games are ugly. They're winning by like 40, 50 points. And um, it's nice to see now that um, teams like really getting after them defensively and playing tough. So, I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken out of this is it's just been an enjoyable tournament to watch. Absolutely. Uh, Coach, Coach Bishop, what are some of your thoughts of watching some of these women's games? Yeah, I've, I've watched, a, a, you know, definitely a few of these. Um, my wife was, I mean, we just had our child, but she was a women's basketball coach for, for 15 years. And so we, we watched a little bit more of that now. Um, I watch more now that we're married, but um yeah, I've come to appreciate it a lot more. I'll, I mean, I, I won't tell my guys this that I coach at Bowling Green or, you know, when I used to coach, but honestly, I can get more as a coach sometimes out of the women's games than I can the men's college games because honestly, my guys are probably at, they're, they're closer to those type of players. I mean, we don't run pick and rolls and throw it up to the rim for alley oops <laughs> where I coach. We don't, we're not saying we not, never get a guy like that, but that's, that's not what we play below the rim more the type of players that I get, um, but where they're going. But, um, just a couple of players that really stick out. You know, I, I talk about Connecticut, even though some people have caught up. I'm always amazed by Gino. Oh, just over the years that I've watched them, he, even when teams are super competitive in the first half and, and toughen it out with Connecticut, he's so good at making halftime adjustments of just, just shifting matchups, maybe just throwing in a zone, um, attacking a little different matchup offensively. I think he, he's, He's an amazing, like halftime coach to me. When I and he did it, I, I thought he was good again this year. They, I think they were, was like a 19-0 run they went on in the second half of that of that other game they had. I, like I said, I'm always impressed by his halftime adjustments. And and the other one that's kind of stuck out to me it was this individual player, um, uh, Iowa. Um, what's her? Kate, Caitlin Clark. Oh my, boy, can she she can fill it up. And I I mean even more just. A couple times I watched her handle the ball. It was just, boy, she had that ball on a string and she had that defender just, you know, looking silly a couple times when they were doing it. And they had to run multiple people at her. And she didn't have a great game against Connecticut, but you could just tell she sticks out. She sticks out on film um, when they go. And, uh, you know, I, I watched some of the South Carolina game too. And I like um, Zaya Cooks from Toledo Rogers. And um, you talked about Corey Kreinbrink earlier. Um, the... Well, last year got canceled. This year, Corey's team was great and won state championship. 
the two years prior to that, Zaya Cook and Slido Rogers knocked Corey's team out at regionals for two years in a row. And the first year, they weren't very competitive against Slido Rogers. The second year, they they were really competitive. But boy, she stuck out and she was just so, so you naturally tend to follow those players when you see him. Like, and Corey's a great coach, but she was just, you know, just so head and shoulders here at high school and seeing her there is pretty cool too. And she's, she's not quite as dominant there, but she's a really good player at South Carolina. Yeah, no doubt. Still, she's still one of the top players in the nation uh, doing her thing for, for South Carolina. And she's a big reason why they're, they're in the final four again from Northwest Ohio. Very, very cool. Coach Burton, what are some of your takeaways from uh, the women's side of the bracket? Yeah. Going back to what coach Bishop said that, you know, for me too, like I do sometimes get a lot more out of the women's game. Um, Cause like you said, like we don't, we don't have the six, eight, six, nine guys that you can just throw it up to and they can go get, um, you don't have like the ideal, like true isolation, you know, mismatch that you can go to, you know, from a team dynamic standpoint, that's kind of what you really want to evolve your, uh, your team around right now. Um, you know, I have had, I've had conversations with my players about this, you know, and it's not in a way that they're trying to like discredit female basketball players or try to bash women's basketball. But, you know, one of my young men the other day, we were talking about it and he was like, you know, he's like, I can beat that girl one-on-one. I'm like, Oh, I'm like, you sure about that? I'm like, let me share you some stories. One's a GA on the women's side at division one, Ariel powers who played at Michigan state way, uh, during the time I was a GA, I had to be her on the scout team. And in our coaches meeting before practice, I said, coach, I can't fully be here. I'm going to try my best. I'm like, she, she would beat me in one-on-one. Like, I, like that's, that's when I gained my like real appreciation for women's basketball. And just to just, we talk about just the level of like teams catching up to the Yukons, the Stanfords, um, the South Carolinas, just we're starting to see the playing field become a little bit more level and just the evolution of the game. Um, you know, with the WNBA really starting to expand out now, just seeing that women's basketball is really starting to become a thing and seeing the ratings uh, that came out the other day, I think it was like 16% increase um, from what it was last year. Like that's awesome to see. Um, I've always been a big fan of basketball and the coach Kerr and I've always talked like, if you're a basketball junkie, men's or women's don't care, you're always going to watch. So it's always nice to see these women in the spotlight um, in these times like this, especially during March Madness. Um, we can go on a whole side tangent about, you know, some of the inequalities that we're seeing right now. Um, obviously, hopefully those get fixed uh, further down the road. Um, but also, too, another thing is like what I really like about it is there's a young lady that plays for Indiana. She's a post player, uh, Mackenzie Holmes. Um, what's unique about her, she's actually – lives right down the road here um, at Gorham High School, which is about maybe 10, 15 minutes from where I am. So being able to watch her in high school and just seeing her grow and develop into what she is. Um, if you go out to the four out or the podcast I did with coach about the four out one in watching Indiana play, there are some things that I just took from there being like, wow, like there's some things that I didn't realize that we can utilize just from watching the women's game and just watching what Mackenzie Holmes can do on the inside. And seeing what she's doing from being from the state of Maine is just awesome to see too. Um, so hopefully she continues to grow and shine, but like you guys have said, it's just been great to be able to watch this. Um, you know, I'm sure we're about to get into the conversation about this Baylor UConn game, but I just think in all in all, this has just been an incredible time for women's basketball right now. Well, Coach Burton, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it in, in your court and you kind of lead us off with, with that uh, Baylor-UConn game. And, and I'm sure you're going to talk about the finish to that game a little bit. Um, but to, to touch on everything that, 
all of our coaches just mentioned, I mean, it's so good. The, the women's game just keeps getting better and better at such a fast rate. And I think as Coach Pitts mentioned, you know, 20 years ago, it seemed like there, were, there was UConn and Tennessee and, and just a couple teams that you're like, wow, it seems like they have all the elite, elite basketball players. And now there are so many high-level elite basketball players spread out through all of these great teams throughout the country the quality of basketball is, is just so, so good. And yeah, if, if you can't take anything away from the women's game, you're not watching it, right? Because you can't help but, but watch this game and say, oh, there are so many things that we can take and learn from the game and apply to what we're doing, regardless of, of for coaching boys, girls, doesn't matter. So um, that's, that's some really great stuff. Coach, thoughts on UConn Baylor? So I feel bad for both sides, for both teams, for these young ladies um, and the coaching staff, you know, because everyone's just going to pinpoint the exact moment of the end of the game. Um, now I'll say this, you know, is it a foul? You know, it probably is a foul. But if you watch the game from start to that point there, the refs let them play. They let the game be physical. There were other moments too where, you know, it was like a hard um try to go for a block it'd be a hard foul you'd be like oh that's a foul but they didn't call it they let them play so again I, I give kudos to the officials for following through on how they're officiating the game up to that point but it's just unfortunate that that's the moment that's pinpoint because it was an incredible game to watch um and I feel so bad for that young lady that pulled her hamstring um because it felt like that was the moment right there where Baylor kind of lost all momentum which began UConn's 19-0 run um but still, I just think in general, it's just a beautiful game to watch. Um, but again, I still think in the end, it probably is a foul, but I do give kudos to the officials for following through on how they're officiating the game, though. It was a very physical game. Uh, at the same time, it was a foul. You hate, you hate to see it end that way. Um, but similar to what everybody mentions is, you know, there were a million fouls throughout the course of the game on on both sides. That it's That's what makes sport sport, right? Um, you know, players do things purposely or not, or not. It could be a travel foul. That's just that's just the game. Unfortunately, it had to happen in, in the last couple of seconds. Um, but regardless, that could have been, in my opinion, the national title game. I mean, that game was just phenomenal from from start to finish. Really good stuff there. Um, Coach Pitts, want to open things up as we get towards the end of our our podcast and give each of us a chance to share some overall concepts, teaching points, could be takeaways, anything that we've learned from watching could be these games specifically that we've talked about, or the NCAA tournament on the men's or women's side as a whole that we can take away and apply to our team. Yeah, I, th I think the one thing that I would take away from like the men's side is just like, Gonzaga, like how their floor spacing, like Coach Burton talked about that earlier, just how um, how good they are at making passes and and they share the ball really well. And it's it's really hard to stop a team when obviously when they've got more than one or two options, that team is just so deep and and they always seem to be in the right spots. And um, I just think that. Uh, it's fun to watch. Like sometimes the other teams know that they're going back door and stuff like that. And they, they still get there anyway. Um, and it's from that standpoint, like 
that's what I would probably take from the men's game. From the women's game, the one thing that I noticed the most um, was down in the post. Um, I, I'm like watching the moves down there, the footwork and everything like that. To me, that's one of the things that has gotten way better than, and, and there were always good post players in the women's game, but like there's a lot of really good moves now, like up and under moves. And they're, they're like using the rim to stop people from blocking shots. And um, I just, uh, I think that's probably the, probably about the two takeaways on the, on the offensive side of thing. And just defensively, like how the communication piece, I know I, I saved a couple um, clips that I want to show to my girls going into next year, like um, even in the men's and women's game, we're like, you know, they're, they're talking and then they're pointing to, you know, who's got to get this. And they're talking about it way before anybody gets up the court. Um, so I think, I think those are the things that I, along with, you know, like every once in a while you see like a really great inbounds play or something like that. And then you borrow that and add it to your list, but um, probably those things right there. That's great stuff. And the, you're right. The communication piece is huge, especially for high school basketball players. I think high school players would be blown away if they went to a college practice and noticed the level of communication. I mean, communicate early, communicate often. That's going to give you a big time advantage. That's, that's really, really key. Uh, Coach Dishup, any teaching points and takeaways for you? Yeah, I think um, just a few of the actions I've seen run, just I, I've seen some good just as I go through and watch just some of the pick and pop actions with some of the bigs that, that uh, on the, well, actually on the men's and the women's side, I've seen some of the good actions I've seen and some of the good things happening, you know, kicking it back to the big and having a big able to make some decisions out there or shoot, not just shoot, I mean, shoot if he's open, but also he or she's open, but also make a few decisions out out there what the next play should be, and making some and the, just the value. Someone having having forwards who can do something out there. I mean, yes, shoot, but also make some decisions. Hand, not handle the ball a little bit. Uh, boy, it's been really valuable. Um, you know, Loyola's big man was really he he just he was a wonder on the perimeter a few times. He's one that stuck out to me as like impressive. You can get get you know just a value in teaching and teaching all your players, you know, ball skills, you know, ball handling, a little bit, at least a little bit of ball handling, some shooting, you know, what to look for when you're passing and things. That's, I, I you know, that's really valuable when you can get that. And um, you were talking, Coach Pitts was talking a little about the the women and I, and in the post that they're impressive because they get, I think they're much better than the men at finishing with either hand. I think they, they're offhand. I think they're much better at finishing with their offhand than the men are. Uh, when I watch them now, part of that's because the men can dunk, I'm sure, a, a little bit more. But but on the men's side, then again, that we try and preach this all the time. But I, the more and more I watch it, and in, in on the men's side especially, because they let a little more the, con, the amount of contact you get when you get in the lane, how many of those guys will go off two feet when they're going in there? Because we our guys want to go off one foot, and they just get bumped, and they're off balance and throwing something up there that's and not a good shot. If you really watch a lot of those, I mean, unless they get a true blow by, they're getting in there, they're getting strong and they're going up with two feet or, you know, they'll jump stop or, you know, and pro hop in there, whatever it is, you know, I just reemphasizing those points that, you know, the bumps you're going to take in there, it's really hard to go off one foot on those drives. 
I love that. And, and the finishing piece is, is so big, especially for high school players. I think it's easy to get caught up in watching the highlights of what you see on ESPN. A lot of those are kind of fancy, you know, everybody's like, I want to be able to jelly, right? One foot and all, all these different types of finishes. But realistically, you watch a game, you figure out what's successful for a lot of players, especially they don't have elite athleticism, is going off of two feet, right? Vill Villanova's, you know, become very popular for being able to kind of set a standard for how we finish off of two feet. But so many teams now have adopted that, really good at that. And I always like to say a one foot finish is for speed and space. And a two foot finish is for power and contact. And just how you broke down a lot of those times when, you, when you're going into the paint, there's gonna be bodies there. And the more we can have that balance, that base, uh, the more likely we are to finish, finish through contact, get an and one, that's really good stuff. Uh, Coach Burton, what are some of the takeaways that you have that you can apply to your guys? Um, the first one is um, it's going back to Michigan. And again, it's unfortunate, you know, how the game ended for them, um, for the incredible run they had. And, you know, the Isaiah Livers injury caught up to him finally, it looked like. Um, but the big thing I took away from them just watching the season in this tournament is just their team defense. Um, what I've learned, there's two things Michigan's defense is always going to do is that they're always going to take away option number one. They're basically going to say, whatever you're going to be running, that's great. We're always going to take away that first option. So we're going to force you to make read and reactions to see if you can actually execute uh, your game plan or the set that you're going to run at that time. So that was a big thing there. And secondly, too, just watching them and their different actions of guarding the pick and roll. Um, and I started to pick up this last night when they are playing UCLA's point guard. Um, they were jamming the ball screens. So basically their big was either playing underneath so the guard can just slip right through to pick his man up so the point guard wouldn't drive downhill or he would get right up into his guy, um, allowing that minimal space for him to go under as well. Um, and just to like how they were doing their hedging and then their weak side rotations too. It just felt like how they were in sync as a whole unit is a real big takeaway that I want to you know show our guys too or just mention like, hey, you ever watch Michigan play with Jawan Howard? Watch them just play defense in their rotations, um, the pointing, the talking, and just the communication there that they do. And then the last one, um, it's kind of a, it, a touchy subject, I guess you could say, but is end of game situations. Um, you know, trying to understand and realize, you know, time management. Um, are you in the bonus? Do you have timeouts? You know, maybe, and this is more from the coaching side, um, is trying to really get that um, piece really kind of finalized because, again, the game of basketball, like we, we don't control everything. It's always about, you know, we share our guys control the controllables, but in those aspects, I think you can control some controllables um, in the actions that you want to run. To me, I'm someone's like, yeah, you can draw up a play, but a lot of times you maybe want to draw up something, but give the guys like, Hey, we've done this a million times. I trust you. You guys are out there for a reason to make the right decision, go execute it and make a play and we'll see what happens. So those are kind of the two big takeaways I've had. Oh, I love those. Those are, those are fantastic. And uh, the, the team defense, again, you can defend, you can rebound, you give yourself a chance and, you know, Michigan as poorly as they played defense was able to, to keep them in the game. One thing that I noticed on the women's side, especially is there's so many teams um, that are playing really well off of the high post. And um, I've, tweeted something about it a few days ago and some other people have as well, but there's so many times where they'll get the basketball to the high post. And as coach Pitts mentioned, there's a lot of backdoor cuts. There's a lot of 
angled uh, runners through going to the basket. And then when we get the basketball to the high post, essentially it makes it really difficult for the defense to differentiate the strong side and the weak side because the basketball is essentially in the middle. And so when we get the basketball to the middle, not only are so many players getting backdoor cuts off of that, but you can literally get that basketball to any spot on the court with a pass whenever you want, right? You're in the, you're around the nail high post. And so that that's such an effective thing that I've seen more so on the women's side of the tournament than I have on the men's side of the tournament so far, that's been really, really successful. Uh, but obviously you got to have players that can get the basketball at the high post and are comfortable with the ball there. Okay. You, you space off, they can shoot it. You get up on them too tight, one dribble, they can score. And then they're comfortable facing up, passing and all those different things. So you got to have the players to do it, but it's been utilized so well, better than I can even remember on the women's side. That's been really, really fun to watch. And then one of the things that uh, Coach Troshak, who couldn't be here tonight, uh, also brought up was teams are getting better and better at hunting mismatches. And he, and he gave a really good example of if a team switches. And so let's say there, there's a switch that happens on a ball screen and now it's a guard on a big. And what do we often see at the NBA level that it's ISO, okay, everybody get out of the way, bop, 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 I dribble around and then I try to get by that defender. Well, what we're seeing here is we come off that switch we have a, a big on a guard or a quicker player. They'll toss the basketball quick to the closest teammate. The defender who is just guarding the ball has to drop into somewhat gap or help, but the pass will immediately come back to the player who just passed it. And so now that big has to close out off of that switch. And now they can almost get a running start off the catch and attack that, that mismatch. And if you do that quickly before the defense has a time to, okay, there's a big on a, on a quick, we need to switch that and get back. You do that before they can recover. It's a great way to not only get a mismatch, but then you create a closeout off of the mismatch. And that was a great piece that uh, Coach Troshak, who couldn't be here tonight, uh, mentioned to us. So it's so a shout out to him. Um, coaches, I'll open this up uh, before we give kind of some predictions to finish out. Is there any other uh, takeaway that you want to mention from uh, what you picked up on either side of the tournament? Feeling good? Cool, cool. All right. Let's give some predictions as we finish out uh, this, this podcast. Let's start on the, the women's side. Uh, Coach Pitts, here's what we're looking at. We have Stanford playing South Carolina, two number one seeds. Who are you going to take, Stanford or South Carolina, as the Alamo faces the hemisphere as they're down in uh, San Antonio? I think I'll, well, this is a tough one. Um, I think I'll take Stanford. Stanford. And then yeah. you got UConn against Arizona. What do you think? UConn. And your national champion? UConn. UConn. Yeah, that's probably a pretty solid, solid pick. Coach Bishop, I'll run it down to you. Stanford, South Carolina, and UConn, Arizona. How do you think the final is going to shape up? Uh, yeah, first one stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna take South Carolina on that, and uh, like I said, um, I think they got they got a lot of good pieces there between Cook and Boston. They got a, I mean Stanford's good too. I mean that could go either way. <laughs> That's a coin flip for me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take South Carolina that one. Um, the other one I I take UConn in the other one um, as well as as well like Coach Pitts there. Um, 
national champion, I like I said, for me, it's probably UConn. I, I'm picking UConn in that one as well that I would probably pick. I, I think they're playing really good basketball. I like the way they play. Just I like a lot of the things they do. They got a score. You know, they can, you know, you need a bucket. You got somebody to go to. So they got a lot of good pieces in, uh, on the team. And, you know, Gino's a really good coach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, coach Burton, what are some of your thoughts on uh, Stanford, South Carolina and UConn, Arizona? So I'll say this. Um, I, I'm a big Zaya Cook fan. Um, I compare her to like Allen Iverson, pound for pound. I think she's one of the toughest guards in the country. No offense to Paige uh, Beckers, but I think Zaya Cook is the real deal. Um, but, you know, sometimes when you have a scare, like what Stanford had to embark on the other night with Louisville, um, even though they had won it by 15, but they were down most of the game going into the fourth. I think sometimes when you get past that scare, it kind of just takes the, the pressure off the shoulders a little bit. So I think Stanford's going to take that game. And also, too, Stanford's got some legit length um, on all piece, all sides of the floor. So I think that's going to be a big piece, too. Um, and I think UConn, they're just clicking on all cylinders now, again, with that Baylor game. I think we're on a collision course with both Stanford and UConn. Um, let me tell you, living in the Northeast, UConn is like – king of everything or I better yet say it, is queen of everything so I'm not going to make any of my northeastern uh people mad at me so I'm going to go with UConn on this one UConn cutting down the nets very good very good uh yeah I'm also going to go UConn uh making it to to the finals and some northwest Ohio love since I enjoyed living there for four years so I see UConn South Carolina and I'm gonna say South Carolina cuts down the nets and, and wins it all as much as uh I enjoy watching UConn and, and Becker's play. Um, I, need, I need a jersey for sure. Um, let's go to the uh, men's side. Men's side of things here. Uh, Gonzaga, UCLA should be Michigan State and Baylor uh, against Houston. Let's go to the Texas side of the bracket. Um, I'll go first on this one since I'm talking already. Um, I think Baylor's just got too much too much uh, physicality. Uh, I think they do have great guard play. Uh, so I see Baylor going all the way and playing Gonzaga in the final. And I, I picked Gonzaga to win it. That was one of the few picks that I've I've been rolling with and actually been correct on uh, throughout this past month. So I got to stick with my pick and uh, I got Gonzaga cutting down the nets. How about you, Coach Pitts? Yeah, I have the same. I have uh, Baylor and Gonzaga and then Gonzaga winning um, the national title. And like the the selfish part of that is, is if I get that right, I'm going to win both of my brackets. <laughs> so, um, and one of the brackets is actually uh, the free coaches clinic at the Hoosier gym. So that would be pretty cool to get. I but we'll, uh, we'll see how it goes. This tournament's been crazy. So, um, but yeah, I think Gonzaga will finish the deal. That is amazing that you are possibly going to win and get a free clinic to the Hoosier gym and say hello to Matt Smith for me, because that dude is awesome. And when you go to the Hoosier gym, when I had a chance to speak there a couple of years ago at that very clinic, it was one of the coolest like basketball experiences of, of my life. So I'm definitely rooting for you now with, with that pick. Um, Coach Burton, let's roll it over to you. Yeah, uh, with the Baylor-Houston matchup, I I'm going the same thing. I think Baylor's just going to overmatch Houston. Um, I think Houston's going to make it a game first half. I just think Baylor's a, you know, the better team in the end. It's going to pull away. 
Um, and I think Gonzaga is going to beat UCLA. I'm going to call this the Adam Morrison redemption game. Um, not many of you remember, um, but last time these two played, Gonzaga should have beaten them when Adam Morrison was there, but they end up choking. So again, uh, Gonzaga is going to roll over UCLA, I believe, make Adam Morrison kind of get those uh, those demons out of the way now. Um, and he'll be excited about that. And I, it's a tough call. We were supposed to get this matchup between Gonzaga and Baylor in the regular season, but COVID obviously um, came into play and said, this is not going to happen. Um, but I'm glad that we potentially could have a collision course between these two. Um, I'm going Gonzaga. I, I, I would love for there to be history to be made. I think it'd be the first time since, was it 76? Um, since Ian and Hoosiers went undefeated. So I'm kind of pulling for Gonzaga there to cut down the next, but I think depth is going to play a huge factor in this game. And that's why I'm going to lean towards Gonzaga winning. Think about this. Imagine 20 years ago and somebody says in 2021, it's going to be a final four David versus Goliath matchup, except David is UCLA and Goliath is Gonzaga. Nobody would believe you. Right. I mean, UCLA, the, you know, the, the most national championships ever. And you're like, actually, they were in the first four. And because of this, UCLA, Cronin, the first UCLA coach to ever win five games to make it to the final four. Right. Not even John Wooden has done such a thing. That's pretty amazing. So, Coach Bishop. You gonna break uh, break the theme that we have going here? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, I, I can't go against Gonzaga either against UCLA. I mean, UCLA has been playing great, but boy, it's just it, I, it's I don't know. If, if, congrats to them if they can find a way to beat Gonzaga. I just I can't I I can't see it happening right now. And I say the same thing on the other side with Baylor. I just I I don't know. I don't know how Houston's gonna find a way to beat them unless they just unless they just have an awful game and it can't put it in the hoop. But I just, I just see their athleticism overwhelming. And I, now the final game, I, I think that's going to be close to Baylor match. Baylor has some guys that can match up with, with some of their, with a lot of Gonzaga's athleticism and different scoring options they have. But I, to go along, I, I, the depth is a big piece of that, that when you go through there and some of their experience, they have their experienced guys and, being able to score from multiple positions at a time is a big deal. So I actually, <laughs> I'm on the bandwagon, actually, I guess, on this. I'm going Gonzaga, too, in the final. Well, there you have it. There's your, there's your predictions. Gonzaga over Baylor. And uh, I tell you what, it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting to see kind of what shakes out. And amidst all the upsets that we've had with the NCAA tournament, you look at the bracket and you're saying, okay, we, we wound up with two number one seeds probably the two number one seeds that we thought in the very beginning were going to have a chance to play for a national title. You have a number two seed and then you have a wild card and that wild card happens to be UCLA, right? A blue blood. So uh, pretty, pretty interesting how things wind up turning out uh, by the end of, of each season. And um, coaches, I just want to thank you guys for being on the, the coaches edge podcast. That was a lot of fun, unique episode to our listeners out there. I appreciate all you guys for, for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you know, we try to keep it informational, educational, but at the same time have, have kind of some fun um, as this is a, a unique time of year. And um, given the past year and everything that's gone on, I think we could all use kind of relax and, and have a little fun every once in a while as well, instead of just saying, 
here's how you get better. Here's how you make your team better. Uh, Cause I'm all about that, but it's, it's good, to, good to relax and still talk some hoop as well. So coaches, thanks again for being on the coach's edge and, you know, get after it today and enjoy the final four. Have a happy Easter.